In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered round him, and he stayed by the lakeside. Then one of the synagogue officials came up, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is desperately sick. Do come and lay your hands on her to make her better and save her life. Jesus went with him, and the large crowd followed him. They were pressing all round him. Now there was a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for twelve years. After long and painful treatment under various doctors, she spent all she had without being any better for it. In fact, she was getting worse. She has heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his cloak. If I can touch even his clothes, she had told herself, I shall be well again. And the source of the bleeding dried up instantly. And she felt in herself that she was cured of a complaint. Immediately aware that power had gone out from him, Jesus turned round in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing round you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he continued to look all around to see who had done it. Then a woman came forward, frightened and trembling, because she knew what had happened to her, and she fell at his feet and told him the whole truth. My daughter, he said, your fate has restored you to health. Go in peace and be free from your complaint. While he was still speaking, some people arrived from the house of the synagogue official to say, Your daughter is dead. Why put the master to any further trouble? But Jesus had overheard this remark of theirs, and he said to the official, Do not be afraid, only have faith. And he allowed no one to go with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they came to the official's house, and Jesus noticed all the commotion with people weeping and wailing unrestrainedly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and crying? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So he turned them all out, and taking with him the child's father and mother and his own companions, he went into the place where the child lay. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitakum, which means, Little girl, I tell you to get up. The little girl got up at once and began to walk about, for she was twelve years old. At this they were overcome with astonishment, and he ordered them strictly not to let anyone know about it, and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Law Pro-abortion activists have often couched the heinous act of killing a baby in vitro by styling it with the euphemistic title of being pro-choice. But the choice spoken of here seems like a sick game 
of Russian roulette between the mother and the child where the odds are stacked against the defenseless child. The life of the child ultimately hangs on the choice or the decision of the mother. The child's voice is never heard. It plays no part in the choice. The child is given no choice. We, however, are forced to make this conclusion, a conclusion which many abortionists would be hesitant to admit because it sounds grotesque. The child's life matters less than a mother's. Today our Lord seems to be presented with a similar dilemma, choice between healing the young 12-year-old girl who is dying and the older woman who had been suffering for 12 years. These little details are deliberately mentioned to show that these two stories are mirror images of each other. If you were given a choice to attend to the needs of only one of them, who would you choose? The younger woman who is a in a more life-threatening situation and has a longer life ahead of her, or the older woman who had suffered pain, humiliation and alienation for 12 years, and it would be unbearably cruel to allow her to suffer a second longer. But being the Lord, he chooses both, and he chooses life over death. The two stories of healing are juxtaposed in order to help interpret one another. What the two stories have in common over and above being examples of the divine power at work in Jesus is that not only some lives matter, but both lives matter. In fact, all lives matter in the eyes of God. One life is not more important nor more valuable than the other. The story does not merely show that our Lord was concerned with all lives, young or old, a fetus in a womb, or a fully grown adult, sick or healthy, Jew or Gentile, man or woman, saint or sinner. But he had come not just to address our physical ailments and restore us to health, but he was keener in giving us life in abundance, an antidote to death. What he did for the little girl was a prelude to what he was planning to do for all of us, the resurrection of the body. He was deeply profoundly pro-life in his battle against death. Indeed, death connects the interlocking stories of Jairus's daughter and the woman. Both supplicants know that they face the immediacy of death, yet their encounter with our Lord culminates in victory over death. The woman suffering the chronic illness, an illness that would probably have led her to death, is healed. The resuscitation of Jairus' daughter also proves that the Lord does not only have the power over sickness that may lead to death, he also has the power to overcome death and wrest his victims back from the grave. For Christians, though, it's not always easy to encourage life around us. We live in a culture that doesn't foster life but anti-life. St. John Paul II, in his writings and preaching, have constantly placed a spotlight on what he calls the culture of death. It is a culture where choices, once unanimously considered criminal and rejected by the common moral sense, like abortion or euthanasia, are gradually becoming socially acceptable. On the one hand, we fear life. Children are seen as a burden, 
They get in the way of our careers, our ambitions. They make a mess of our bodies, our homes and our lives. People with disabilities scare us because we don't want them to put pressure on our resources. On the other hand, we also fear death, just as much as we fear life. The thought of visiting a terminally ill or aging person paralyzes Earth. Mercy killing is a euphemism created by modern society to soften the reality of what it is in reality, murder. We claim that it is an act of mercy that we are putting someone out of their misery and not wishing to prolong their suffering. But the truth is that it is another convenient way to unload another burden. St. John Paul II was renowned for highlighting the danger of the culture of death. Pope Francis frequently speaks about the throwaway culture in which unwanted items and unwanted people such as the unborn, the elderly and the poor are discarded as waste. This is the reason why it is incumbent on all Catholics to promote and foster a culture of life, that all life should be considered sacred from the moment of its conception till death, that a person is to be valued as a person for who he or she is, a creature of God, and not by what he or she owns, does, or can produce. To transform a culture into one which respects and defends human life, it is necessary to speak of a deeper and a greater truth. All human life is sacred. God's is its altar. We do not own it. This is the gospel of the life which we must proclaim and defend, that all lives matter, and not just whenever it is convenient. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.